G'day everyone, Ben here. And just before we get started on today's episode, I just wanted to highlight a couple of things. Firstly, I wanted to thank Ryan again for coming on after every test match this summer, making the time to chat cricket. He's a really good cricket mind. Um, you should go follow him on Twitter, even though he doesn't tweet. <laughs> uh, and he does do some stuff for the Raw Sports occasionally. So yes, he definitely knows what he's talking about. We appreciate him making the time to come on uh, after every test to, to chat with us. Uh, just on that, there are a few audio issues at the start in the first few minutes with Ryan's audio. He was actually kind enough to record this while on family holiday. But unfortunately, I don't think his internet was tremendous. Uh, we do fix it after a few minutes, but yeah, it might be a bit rough for the first couple of minutes. Uh, other than that, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Leave a rating. It helps us out. gets us you know, going around, gets the word out. And other than that, let's get into the show. Well, this is quite sad. It's our last episode together. At the end of a great summer, Ryan. What? It doesn't have to be our last, Ben. Oh, Don't I be think... so defeatist. We can talk about other stuff. <laughs> he likes the cricket and he has no other interests is how I view you. So, especially with the Lakers being, <laughs> with the Lakers being shit, I, f- I figured the, uh, you've got no other points of conversation. <laughs> That's a bit rich coming from a Detroit Pistons fan, to be fair. Uh, it's, all, it's, it's all about expectation. <laughs> um, no, the, uh, history-making fifth test for, for reasons both good and bad. But um, usually we leave the pitch and all that sort of stuff to the end. But I figured, you know, considering the nature of the match, we probably should start with it. Um, and you pointed this out way back when um, uh, Hobart got announced as the venue that, oh, you know, green top could be seeming a lot. Um, yeah, lived up to that. Yeah, uh, uh, the cricket Australia has dodged a bullet. If this is a drawn series, and let's be honest, there's never going to be a drawn series because England are so shit. <laughs> but, but let's just suspend disbelief for a minute and say this was 2-2 and we were going into this game. I, you know, cricket Australia, would, there'd be some very nervous people uh, in Melbourne at the head office because a pitch like that just brings the talent golf between the teams a bit closer um and i think you know it's one of it's almost like a great leveler that brings the you know if this was an nba game instead of playing best of seven in which time you know the best team normally wins this was the equivalent of saying hey let's just play once and see what happens so uh, that's what super- that deck was like and <laughs> it was a test cricket super over yeah, and, and you know, thankfully, England are so woeful that even a, a pitch like that couldn't let them win the game. Uh, but I reckon there would have been some nervous people when England were what were they, none for 60, none for 70 in that? Yeah, they were, yeah, none for hang on, I got none for 68. They were, yeah, yeah, and you know, it was a dead rubber, but just so you never want to lose a test, uh, particularly an Ashes test. So it's not like people would have been fired over that decision, but geez, yeah, it was uh. It was touch and go there in that fourth innings, but thankfully England showed their true colours and completely capitulated. <laughs> and Australia were able to wrap up, which I think is a pretty fair score. In fact, I think five mil would have been fair if I'm honest. The grey wash. Uh, but I don't think I don't, I don't think Australia deserved to to be um, to lose a test in, in this series and have history showed that they lost a test. I don't think that would have been a fair reflection of how good they were. Yeah, the, and how bad England were. The grey wash, as we said last episode and um (laughs) you know especially when england have only won six tests here in 30 odd years and three of those were in 10 11 um yeah you don't want 
you don't want to blot that record too much. And on the conditions, I know it was always going to swing. Hobart's known for swinging. I went to day two and obviously day nighter. It wasn't cold or it wasn't, you know, it wasn't particularly windy or cold or um, humid or anything like that. It was... So I think I think a lot of the life in this pitch was more the actual pitch itself, Ralph, because like the conditions weren't amazingly, you know, bowler friendly. I, I would have thought. No, I think what it's a lot of lack of great test cricket techniques these days. Like that, just probably shut up. There's very very few great in both both teams. I think you know probably Labuschagne is probably the best out of the two. I think on a deck like that, you just need to be pretty uh, auspicious with what you what you're not. I, it wasn't thing, and I think geared the batsman. So it was actually good to see the bowler deck that was bowler friendly. It's just that a bowler friendly deck actually brought the teams closer together because England's batting so bad. So it played to kind of their strengths because their bowling is not that bad. I, I don't know. I think they've got some potential there from a bowling perspective. Um, but yeah, uh, I, yeah, I mean, you were there, so you probably know even better because you know sometimes the TV can can play a few tricks. Um, but it did look like a tricky wicket to bat on, but it wasn't like a ticket. It's not like you know anyone should be getting into trouble for preparing that wicket. I thought it was quite good from that perspective. No, no, it was, and um, the amount of times because where I was sitting, it was quite side on, so you, and you can't really tell from the hill if they've hit it or not. But yeah, geez, there was a lot of plays and misses, but it wasn't it wasn't an absolute data or anything like that. Like it wasn't pitching on leg and then hitting like eighth stump. So it wasn't you know, anything too ridiculous like that. I did think, and we usually like to, again, leave all the England bashing to the end, but this test really, like as it went on, it made the decision to not pick James Anderson even more bizarre. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, bungled their selections all series long. Um, the minute that it was named a pink test, that should have been an automatic end in selection. And they should have looked at, you know, if you can't handle the five, what other tests should you rest him at? And, you know, the other thing is, you know, how much weight do you put into the games are important when the series is alive versus dead rubber? So it doesn't really matter. Should England be looking at other players knowing that Anderson's 39 is not going to play forever? So is it a good chance to look at someone else? But if their remit was to win that fifth test, and it should have been, Election. Uh, much like any, I'm sure we might talk about this later, but you know, Stark should have been looked at as an automatic selection for this fifth one. And no one we know from last summer that the bowlers probably and quick summer that he should have been earlier in this series. Instead, he played all five and looked tight in Sydney. Didn't wasn't really as important as you'd probably expect yeah, uh, for a night test with the pink ball in the fifth test. So uh, I think both teams probably didn't quite plan accordingly for what the conditions were from the and on that stark point you mentioned that obviously we said he probably should have been rested for sydney only taken the four wickets in a day night test and yeah he only went for 80 odd runs so still a pretty good average but you think of day nighters and mitchell stark you'd really want him to be your lead bowler and i think this test especially in that first innings uh, one for 53 off only 10 overs. He was getting slapped around a bit and he wasn't getting that same movement that the other guys were getting. No, I mean, if you'd said before this test had started that it'd be over in two and a half days or less than two and a half days and, and England would capitulate, be able, you know, lose the last 10 wickets for 58 runs or whatever it was, I would expect that Stark would have took four, five, six in that second dig. 
uh, and maybe, you know, con con contributed to rolling in the first in as well. But as it turned out, it wasn't necessarily Stark. So, you know, he looked a little bit tight in Sydney and I reckon there would have been some suggestions of, geez, can we even risk him in Perth? And if it was a live test, I guess that really would have been um, an interesting decision to make if we were relying on, you know, Stark to spearhead the bowling attack and help us take 20 wickets. As it turned out, dead rubber, didn't need him because we now have four quicks because of Cameron Green's emergence. Um, but yeah, he did look tired. And I, I would hope that we kind of learn from this that that's two years in a row now where Stark hasn't been able to be at his most effective playing for all five tests. And it just yeah. shouldn't be something we put him through in, in the future. Yeah, I, I did have, well, we're going to talk about Green later, but we might as well do it now. We're talking about the bowlers. Cameron Green in that second innings of the ball, wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, they talk about it ad nauseum, but he is six foot six, but he's not just six foot six, he bowls with a very high release point. So he just gets fantastic bounce. Uh, and when he's also getting a little bit of movement, either off the seam or through the air, it's just a handful. And he bowls a good pace. You know, he's, he's regularly up in the 140s, one, mid 145s. He's accurate. Doesn't necessarily give you too many bad balls. Now that he's getting his confidence up as well, he's just really coming into his own. And the other thing is, you know, he's just getting more experience. Test cricket's really hard. But, you know, he's got a few tests under his belt now and he's starting to understand what he can and can't do, where he should put the ball uh, and he's now a genuine fifth option. He, you know, you don't throw him the ball because we need to give the quickies a rest. You throw him the ball, expecting him to get a wicket or expecting something to happen. And he gets big wickets. You know, he's got Joe Root a couple of times. He's not just chipping him with tail enders. He, he's legitimately taking top order wickets and took the first three wickets in that second innings and really set Australia up for the win. Yeah, and obviously a couple of those wickets were, you know, chop ons. Uh, lucky, but the you know that that for the first wicket getting Rory Burns who had a a disaster test as usual um but, but yeah like it was just it wasn't so much the met the method of dismissal but the the repeated build-up of pressure because the opening bowlers they, they got tonked a bit in that second innings at the start you know england were cruising at that none for 60 odd um and then cameron green breaks it and then it's just an avalanche from there like he gets his tail up he's putting it on the spot at that pace and that bounce as you said and his spell with the ball really lifted the whole team in that second innings yeah, I mean, it is always slightly lucky when you get a play uh, playing on. But by the same token, you've created an edge. Now, whether that's an inside edge, outside edge, you know, you, you force the batsman into an error. So there is, yes, there's luck that they had to play under their stumps, but you've also created the, the, the margin of error that you can take that wicket. Uh, and his bounce and his accuracy creates that kind of batsman rushing just a little bit, not getting their, their bat square, uh, sorry, um, straight. So, you know, he's a real handful as a bowler. And as I said, he's, he's not someone you just throw the ball to for a rest. He's an actual wicket taker now, which just makes our bowling attack just that much more dangerous. I mean, Lyon didn't even have to bowl in, yeah. in the whole test. No, and I'll, I'll, bring, no yeah. I'll bring that up in a second. But I think also just last year on green, I think you saw in that second innings as well, the pitch was starting to have a bit of uneven bounce, which I think contributed yeah. a little bit to some of the, the dismissals. Um, yeah. But, you know putting it on that spot. I, I don't think anyone would begrudge him the figures he had, you know, three for 21 in the second innings following on from, uh, oh, actually I thought he had a better first innings from memory, one for 45, not great. Um, but no, yeah, like I said, he, he really um, got that second innings in motion, but you did mention Lion and I was sitting uh, in the seats just in front of the hill uh, on day two and Australia were bowling, and it got to about, I think, 8 p.m. or so, so just after the last break. 
And I said to my mate who I was sitting with, because he was like, oh, is Lyon bowled yet? And I said, no. And I, I honestly don't think he will bowl this entire innings because the ball was doing so much off the pitch and the seamers were actually getting it in good spots. And I was like, I, I'd be surprised if Lyon bowls this innings. I didn't think that had happened the whole match, but um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not totally surprised that he didn't bowl. No, I'm not either. And, you know, there's been a bit of, been a few opinions thrown around that, you know, why didn't they pick Jai Richardson and go with five quicks, for example. But I think that's the benefit of having Cameron Green is he gives you that buffer where we didn't have to, where we could have our cake and eat it too, where we could pick line if the test by some miracle did go to five days, we did have that spinner and we did have that variation uh, and that, that kind of different boulder to throw at them if needed. Um, if we didn't have an all-rounder, then you could probably question whether we should have gone with four quicks up front and, and dropped a spinner. But that's the beauty of an all-rounder and a quality all-rounder is you just have that flexibility in your lineup to be able to, you know, do what you want to do. Do you pick seven batsmen? Do you do you pick two two spinners? Do you? What, you know, that's the beauty of having a genuine all-rounder in your side. Um, so you know, I can I can understand why people are saying, well, we could have picked another bowler, but we didn't need to. We still finished the, the test in three days. So what would have another quick bowler achieved anyway? What, finish it no. even quicker? <laughs> <laughs> and um, in fairness, I think also there would have been a bit of hesitation around like not exactly knowing how Hobart's going to play because it is such yeah. a rare test venue. You don't know quite exactly what the pitch is going to do over, well, in theory, five days, but in reality, three days. Um, so you, you generally would default to your, your stock bowling lineup. And like you've said, like we've said ad nauseum throughout the summer, Cameron Green's development into the legitimate, I won't even say, I'd say third seamer. Um, yeah. You know, he's that quality. Um, you could pick him on his bowling alone at this point and it wouldn't really be, like you wouldn't really bat an eye. And that maybe, right. open, that maybe opens up some really interesting possibilities, especially when we go to the subcontinent, maybe like long shot, but maybe they think, well, we've got Cameron Green who's bowling really well and obviously he's a good batsman. We could pick yep. him at like eight and then bring Glenn Maxwell in at six. It'll, it'll never happen, but like it's just that <laughs> that left field thinking that he allows. Yeah, so I'm just still recovering from you calling it the subcontinent. I'm pretty sure it's the subcontinent, but that's fine. Uh, did I say that? No, I just didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, look, yeah, on the subcontinent, you do need flexibility. We're not going to get away with only having one spinner. So either that second spinner needs to be a second frontline spinner or some of the part-timers are going to be relied upon to actually do more than just part-time spin because, because you know, on those dust bowls and those, those turning wickets, you can't just have one spinner. And particularly Nathan Lyon, you know, he's a great bowler. He's taken a shitload of wickets, over 400 now, as we know, but he still has these limitations and, and that's not necessarily a knock on him, but he's just a different spin bowler that is sometimes what you may need. So whether it's someone that turns the ball away from a right-hander um, or, or whatever it might be. So we are going to need a second spinner at some point, at some time, we haven't needed it for a while. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in the past when we've gone to the subcontinent, you know, you've seen your Stephen O'Keefe's get picked. You've seen your Jason Crazier um, and, and a few other kind of left field, not left field solutions, but, you know, not automatic first 11 selections. So that, that'll be interesting to see. Who, obviously, Mitchell Sweepson is the next best spinner, apparently, in, in the ranks. Yep. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned before, I know he's a bit of a cult hero and some people hate him, but Maxwell does offer you someone that can bat in the top six, but also bowl those offies. So it's yeah. going to be an interesting um, couple of tours coming up. Uh, but, yeah, Kim and Green will allow us to just have a little bit more flexibility in our selections. Yeah, the only issue I think with picking Maxwell with that in mind is he bowls the like he's got the he bowls the same as Lyon, so there's no variation in that respect. Yeah. But you're, I think you're picking Maxwell in the same mold that 
you look at someone like Jadeja for India. Yeah. And like he, his record really sneaks up on you, at least I think, like how good he's been. And th- like to me, there's no reason why, because Jadeja's not a classic test match batsman or bowler either. He's yeah. like a, a white ball all-rounder who has just converted it into a really good test career. And I don't see any reason why Maxwell can't be that guy. Well, the other thing is, you know, people may not want to admit it because because of his flashy nickname and his history, but he's actually a very good player at spin Maxwell. You know, he uses his wrist very well, uses his feet. Um, so it's not just that he offers the, the, the spinning option with the ball, but he offers you a batsman who is actually very good um, facing spin at the other end, uh, you know, uh, at the other in, end of the innings. He got there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to pick me up on that, Frick. Yeah, it was, well, you picked up on something that didn't even happen with subcontinent. So, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we haven't even talked about Australia's batting yet. Um, that first innings partnership between Travis Head and Cam Green, looking back on it, probably a match-winning partnership. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think Travis Head's had two match-winning partnerships in this series, which is probably why I got man of the series. But, you know, the... That, that 150 he got in the first test of the runner ball or, or, or greater was just absolutely astounding and got Australia on top right at the start of the series. And, you know, Australia was in a little bit of trouble at the, at the start of this test. So, you know, two, you know, your number six, or we bat number five now, but he bats like a number six. You know, he's going to give you a few opportunities. I think Travis is going to be one of those players who, whether he's on zero, 50, 100, 150, you probably think he's going to get out next ball because that's just the way he plays. But that's good. You know, you take the good with the bad. But now that he's good, he's turning into hundreds as opposed to 40s or 80s. Um, you'll take that. Um, so it was definitely a match-winning partnership. And it was good to see, you know, Cameron Green will learn a lot from that. Um, his, his first 100 can't be too far away because he's such a good batsman. And he seemed to have ironed out a few technical kinks that were kind of causing him a few issues early in the, in the series. So... You know, Australia's starting to look pretty good there in the middle order. Uh, I think it's probably other parts of the batting order that are probably starting to be questioned a little bit. Yeah, and and Head, you know, his average, you look at it, and it's like, oh, we average is 43. So it's not like, yeah. you know, it's not like he's an absolute spud who's like just got a few big scores. Uh, <laughs> he's really developing that consistency, I think, over the last year or two, where now, whereas in the past, he would have probably been the first guy you'd look at if someone else was knocking on the door, like to make way totally. now, yeah. he he's pretty much like, unless he has a, he derails in form, you know, alarmingly, he, he's the number five, like it's his spot now. No, that those two hundreds also give me a, a pretty good buffer. You know, the selectors will remember that for a, a fairly long time. They'll be given a bit of a long leash, but uh, more than that, I think the two hundreds are giving confidence because they were proper match winning hundreds um, that showed a bit of maturity from his uh, you know, he's always had potential, but but he was pretty frustrating because he'd bat well and then get out just when we needed him to kick on or <laughs> play the same shot twice and, you know, get out the same way or something like that. And there was just a little bit of lack of intelligence to his batting, for, for lack of a bit of phrase. Yep. But he seems to have fixed that now. And then, yeah, obviously, Cam Green, always nice to see him get runs after his struggles at the start of the series. Yes, yes. So I just missed you there. You cut out, what did you say? I said yes, but I didn't hear. <laughs> uh, nice to see Green get some runs after his struggles earlier in the series. Yeah, totally. You know, he's always had potential, but he, he struggled a little bit early in the series. And, you know, his footwork is a bit all over the place and he looked a little bit unsure of himself. But once he started to hit a few boundaries and started to put some runs on the board, you could see he's kind of the pressure on his shoulders released a bit and started playing his shots. He's such a big, strong lad that when he decides to play his shots, 
um, he's pretty hard to contain because there's yeah. just so much power behind it. And, and I think Green is one of those guys where you, you he falls into the theory of no ground is big enough for him, which then flies in the <laughs> face of how he got out. And like the the it, it's not a long boundary square at Hobart, famously. And then you know you see Nathan Lyon slapping sixes, and you think, how the hell did you get out to that shot? It was a trap, obviously. And you know, time as time goes on, he'll learn that traps. Uh, a sign of respect from the bowling team and, and he really shouldn't be falling for them. But geez, if he like he should that should have ended up in the Derwent that ball. Yeah, either end up in the Derwent or don't get out to it and don't play that shot. I, I think it was still the first innings and there's still some runs out that, that needed to be scored. And it wasn't a great dismissal, to be honest. And I no. hope he got a little bit of a spray from someone uh, because there's still a little bit of a learning curve he needs to go on because that's probably a slightly unacceptable um, dismissal despite what how everyone else got out that's not the point you, you still need to be responsible for your own wicket and you know getting caught on the boundary there in the first innings in a test match it's, it's a little bit um frustrating but you know hopefully this is all part of his development yeah considering head had only got out a few overs earlier as well hmm. exactly right match awareness that'll that'll be is probably the next part of his game that needs to develop is a match awareness and, and also starting a little bit more strongly and more confidently because he's a bit of a nervous starter. <laughs> um, and that second innings, obviously the conditions to batter a lot harder, but still a, a pretty, I'd say one of the, the more well-made 23s you're ever going to see in test cricket, <laughs> but important runs considering maybe not in hindsight with the way the match ended, but, you know, just to, to get that lead into a point where you're comfortable, you know, with a smaller chase, but also Alex Carey, I think, and he gives chances, obviously, and he was lucky with a no ball that was millimeters off probably being out and, you know, where's benefit of the doubt and all that. But Alex Carey, uh, hopefully a confidence building 49 from him. Yeah, yeah, he only averaged 20 for the series, which is probably a little bit below what people expected from him, what do we expect from himself, because he's a very good bat. Um, but he also came in a few tricky situations where we needed quick runs. Yeah. Um, or he was facing a fine up England team that just taken a lot of wickets and were on top. So he was batting in very tricky situations throughout the series for uh, a number of his innings. Um, but I think 20 is probably a good 10 to 15 runs below where we need him averaging, to be honest. So I, I don't think he gets a pass from a batting perspective in this series. And his keeping was outstanding for the first three, three games before it kind of fell away quite a bit. But, you know, winning creates a little bit of a buffer. Um, you know, it's not easy playing test cricket and we've been able to ease him in slightly because we've been winning. Um, if we were losing, I think there'd be a lot more pressure on him, if I'm honest, which I'm not sure is fair after just five tests. Yeah. But that's the nature of test cricket that, you know, you, you've got to perform. But he's been able to kind of perform a little bit. We'd probably expect him to be a little bit sharper behind the stumps and take some of those catches and score a little bit more runs. But you also can't argue with the fact that the series is over before he started making mistakes. So... You know, there's a bit of a need a bit a bit of leniency we probably need to give him. Yeah, and he's helped by the fact that there's not really an obvious other keeper competing with him. Like obviously Josh Inglis, I think, was the one in camp at the start. But yeah, you know, Carey at this point probably has another couple of tours. Um, there's no obvious, you know, competition at this stage. No one's banging down the door with hundreds on hundreds in no, shield. No, I, I, I... 
I think it's fair enough to give the one-day keeper the, the reins in test cricket. I think that's a kind of a strategy that's worked well for Australian cricket for a number of years is you kind of blood them through the limited overs team, they do well, and then they get their test cricket chance. And it is a slightly different um, expectation in test cricket. So I think Kerry was the right selection just to show everyone that's kind of the way that we do it. And that's not to say he's got a mortgage on that spot. You know, he has to perform. And I think the subcontinent will certainly test him both batting and keeping. Uh, but it's good to have options as well. You know, if he was the only option, we'd probably be feeling a lot worse about it. But, you know, Ings is there in the, in the wings. I think he's 26 or 27, so he's got a bit of time on his side. Um, and he's a pretty explosive batsman. But I, I'm happy for Kerry to get a pass mark for this series. Uh, but, we, you know, I, I don't think he's nailed down the spot. School, uh, the school report card, you know, uh, could, could engage more, could, could be, you know, <laughs> the classic. Um the top order, though, in this test, not great. No, but I mean, no batsman from either, either team really scored runs. So I think you take the, the results or the statistics from this game from a batting perspective with a slight grain of salt. Um, it was a tricky deck to bat on. We had a makeshift Oka and Quaja. Uh, you know, Stuart Broad was back to terrorise Warner. Lava Shane started to be found out just slightly by Wood. Steve, Steve Smith didn't have the best series and was, you know, kind of fell victim to, to England's plans of bowling short to him. So, you know, there's a few things to work around there. Um, but, you know, that they also did the job in, in, in a series of 1-5-0. So can't be too harsh on them, I guess. Yeah, no, you can't. Um, but more specifically to the top order, after a pretty good start to the series, David Warner probably didn't have the series he or, you know, Australia would have wanted, though. Mm. No, well, I mean, there's a lot of batsmen in the world that just have one nemesis that just always seems to get them out. And for David Warner, that is Stuart Broad, which makes the non-selection of Broad in that first test just even more baffling. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure David Warner averaged like 60 at home and 30 away. So he's always been a bit of a, um, not a flat track bully, but, you know, he's always been a home specialist. He loves the bouncy decks with the ball coming onto the bat, suits his aggressive styles. You know, when he travels away, that's where the kind of the, the troubles come in. So, you know, they'll have to have a look at that. The problem is there's not many options from an opening perspective behind him. You know, Pekoski's still struggling with some issues with... You Marcus know, Harris, mate. Yeah, and then I was about to say there's Marcus Harris. who still hasn't nailed down his spot. Kawaja deserves to get that fifth test. Uh, but whether he's an opener at test level or not, whether he wants to bat there, he, you know, made some noise about he preferred about four and five, but... You know, batting opening is better than not getting picked at all. So there's probably a few, still a few selection questions at the top of the order. Warner's not getting any younger. Kwajah's 35 as well. So well, they're the same think, age, yeah. I, yeah. So the, I think the opening, the opening positions, are the ones that probably need a little bit of examination. But there's not really many options either. No, and I was in this discussion the other day, or just after the t- the match, and people you know brought up, you know, exciting to have some genuine depth in the the squad. And my counter to that was bowling. Yeah, sure. We've got heaps of bowlers. It's great. The batting, the middle order, it seems to sort itself out. But Kawaja and Warner are both 35 years old. And like you said, I'm just repeating your point basically, but there's not a lot of quality, like pick me, pick me options behind them. You know, whether it is Marcus Harris, he'll probably get another chance. That's just how we do things in this country. Like you only get 13 or 14 more chances before you're out for good unless you're Usman Kawaja, of course. Um, you know, is it a left field? Like, do they elevate someone? Do they 
try and force Matt Renshaw back into opening. I don't think that's going to happen. So there's not a lot of like, and test cricket, you can bat, you know, to your 38. Like it's not a huge issue age wise, but the the lack of depth, I think at opener, it's going to become a concern. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is you just need to look at what ages mean these days. You know, 34 or 35 is probably the new 30 with, with the way that they look after themselves. You know, I know this point's been made a couple of times the last couple of days for different reasons, but using Kwaja doesn't drink, which does extend your career a little bit. You're not you know, <laughs> hampered by some of the physical ailments that alcohol can bring on. So, you know, do we need to look at him as only a 32-year-old and therefore, you know, he, should, he could be around for another three or four years. David Warner, as they say on Fox Sports ad nauseum, is the fittest guy in world cricket. So, you know, the, I don't think we should be thinking about these guys leaving in the next year or so, uh, but it's just whether they are the right positions anyway. You know, as I said, Warner doesn't travel too well. You know, Kwaja doesn't necessarily have a spot in the team. You know, do they need to get funky and think about opening with Manus so that Steve Smith can go back to three or he can fit in at four or something like that? I, I don't know. That's probably getting a little bit too radical. Yeah. Um, but there's not a lot of obvious options um, at the top of the order, which is a bit of the issue. Yeah, and on Kalaja and drinking, he's not getting the cops called on him at 6am on a Herbart rooftop. <laughs> What's with your cop down there, mate? Jeez, oh. just, just having a couple of beers? What's wrong? I, I, I watched the video a few times and I was like, at first I was like, oh, this is a joke. And then I, was, I realised that, that Root and Anderson were in there as well. And I was like, oh, this is quite cool. And I'm like, wait a minute, who's called the cops on the... Who's called... Oh, that's just... It was embarrassing. And then the, the guy filming, I don't know if you watched it with Sam, but the guy filming them just starts zooming in on each player and rattling. Okay, so we've have, we have Joe Root, we have Alex Keller. Who cares? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we know who they are just visually, mate. We didn't need a commentary of it. This is Joe yeah. Root. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I wonder if it's like a South Australian thing because Root played club in Adelaide for a year, didn't he? Oh, interesting. No, I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's just the collection of guys that like a beer. <laughs> several types of beers um okay so i think we, we've touched briefly on england's collapse but yeah i mean i was worried at the start of their innings when they got to the 68 and then yeah wow that changed pretty quickly yeah i mean that they were scoring free and you know zach crawley looks like he's got a bit of a promise about him he likes to bat confidently and you know get the scoreboard ticking over so i was starting to get slightly nervous but i knew if we just could just get one or two then you know the floodgates would open and we kind of roll through them but i didn't <laughs> want to get into like none for a hundred or something like that um probably didn't see the collapse coming that did as i no. said i think it was 10 for 58 i think they lost which is kind of embarrassing to be honest um, yeah, but yeah, uh, England with uh, will go home with plenty of question marks on, on what the future is for their test team. I think 56 it was, yeah. Um, it's the old you know, in club cricket, one brings two lads that, that didn't realize one brings nine in this one. Like, <laughs> uh, oh my, yeah. Um, you know, even Burns looked competent at the start of their innings, and then that's just how bad the rest of them were. Uh, one, one person on England that didn't want to highlight those and I'm conscious for time here, but Sam Billings may be circumstantially a bit of a weird way to get into the team, but I was impressed with not only his first innings batting, like he looked pretty compact, but there was a noticeable upshift in energy behind the stumps compared to Joss Butler. 
Yeah, not just energy, I think technique-wise. He, he looks pretty solid behind the stumps. I'm no keeper, but he certainly seemed to move <laughs> way more freely uh, and confidently. And I think it was just his anticipation. You know, a couple of balls down leg side and stuff, he was already well moving down there. And, that's, I, you know, I don't know anything about keeping, but it, it's when you compare apples and apples and you realise, wow, Josh Butler's act, or Josh Butler's actually not that good of a keeper. Um, <laughs> and if he's not bringing much with a the bat, then you've got to start thinking, why is he in the team? Um, so I, I thought Billy had a very good debut. You know, as I said, and as you said, energetic behind the stumps, looks good technically behind the stumps. And I think his batting was pretty good too. I was expecting him to come out and try to have a bit of a smash, but he showed a bit of restraint as well. Yeah, and did you see the story? Um, Billings played a club season at Penrith with Pat Cummins, and then before the test, Cummins sent him an old scorecard where he scored a century and Billings got a duck. So that was nice. Yeah, he's quietly savage, Pat Cummins. Everyone says about what a nice guy he is, but he's just one of those real subtle sledges that yeah, he's a- <laughs> needles you in a real gentlemanly, nice way without you know dropping C-bombs and F-bombs. Instead, he's a little bit more cerebral, which is kind of what good sledging should be like. Yeah, he's, he's a quiet asshole. Um, but but I think Billings does raise a genuine question though for the long term English keeper spot. I think mean, we've got we've got um, well I say we they they've got a well Billings obviously you know Butler and Bearstow are on this tour as well Butler is the keeper and then Bearstow come in as a specialist bat and they've also got Ben Folks who a lot of English watchers seem to think he deserves a, a pretty good crack at the spot as well. Um, so if if there's one spot that they've got a lot of quality depth you'd imagine it is at the keeper and I think Billings is pretty. He's done himself no harm with that conversation with his test. No, not at all. Keeping clearly seems to be a strong point for them. I, I still think the bowling's pretty strong. They've clearly got some depth there and, and some players. You know, I think spin bowling and the top six is the issues that they have. But more than anything, they've got to put runs on the board. It doesn't matter how good your keeping is. It doesn't matter how good your bowling is. If you can't consistently score over 300, you're not going to win a lot of test matches. And they didn't pass 300 once the entire series. Right. And you're just, you're just not going to win any tests, not not putting any pressure. You're not giving your bowlers any chance. You're not putting pressure on the opposition to score. So, you know, all their issues are really related to their top six, to be honest. Yeah. And look, it's a good top six on paper. But, yeah, they probably haven't had the greatest tour. The route aside, and he's been a bit of a one-man show at times. And even he kind of fell apart a bit at the end. But, you know, Stokes, not the greatest tour for him. Best only got to play two tests before he got injured. Um Milan fell off a little bit and the openers, we know what they're like. So, yeah, there's a bit. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, Crawley finally showed a bit of something once he got his chance. But then, yeah, that other spot, I mean, who knows? And even Crawley is, is a bit up and down. You know, he hasn't had the, the, the hottest start to his test career, but he, England, he's going to somehow end up with 80 tests by the end of his career just through sheer volume. I'll probably be named captain next week at this rate. <laughs> Um, finally, before I let you go, Travis Head, as you mentioned earlier, was named man of the series. Did, who did, like, you happy with that? Did you have anyone else in mind? It was, it was an odd one, I think, the man of the series race for this one. Well, I think the bowlers all shared the wickets around so much that there wasn't one person that would probably stand out about everyone else. I know, I know Boland's become the cult hero, but, you know, he also came in at the third test and played every test. So, I, I kind of think that's probably right. I think, you know, both of Head's innings were match-winning in, innings. And I think that 150 also set the tone at yes. the start of the series up at the Gabba uh, and it probably put Australia on the right path to the dominance that they showed across the five tests. So uh, I don't think there was a clear standout, but I've certainly got no issues with Head Kid getting it. 
Yeah, no, I think I said just before it was announced that I would have picked head. Like you said, that first hundred set the tone, and like he scored a lot of important runs. You know, yeah, um, you know, minus. And then, uh, yeah, the second year, I think in Adelaide he scored good runs as well. I think when yeah. Australia's not under tra- not in trouble, but certainly needed some runs, and he got a really hard fought half half century. I think. Yeah, no other batsmen really separated themselves. Like they all had good knocks, but no one really, I think, had the consistency or the importance. Like I think head was a pretty. Fair choice, if not a clear choice, but a fair one. Yep. yep. Right. Well, I'll let you go because I know you're actually on holiday. So you know the world doesn't <laughs> the world doesn't stop for for C grade cricket coverage. Um, as usual, you can't follow you anywhere because you don't do anything on the internet anymore. Is that a fair enough? <laughs> that is that right. A fair enough uh, wrap up. <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. Well, it's been an enjoyable summer covering the Ashes with you. Um, maybe we'll, we'll do the uh, the the subconstant the subcontinent version whenever when we tour <laughs> when we tour over there. Look forward to it. Thanks, mate. All right, mate. See you, bud.